most of us will testify to the fact that we go through seasons in life. If you are over 20 years old, you've already experienced some of those seasons, even the younger ones. Uh, you experience seasons of testing, seasons of trial, seasons of struggles, and seasons of puzzlements, uh, and also, yes, seasons of joy. Some of you are going through those seasons right now and experiencing those crushing moments. Or you could be facing health issues. Some of you are facing relationship problems. Some of you are facing family troubles. Uh, some of you are facing financial crisis. Whatever it is, It comes regardless of your spiritual life, regardless of your prayer life, and it happens regardless of your godly life, and regardless of all of these things. Adversities come to all of us, and we experience those seasons. For believers, those seasons of adversity are not without a purpose. They're not without a purpose. They have a purpose. Those seasons cannot magically disappear just because we want them to disappear. Those seasons happen for a reason. I think it's up to us. It's up to every one of us when we go through these seasons is to ask, Lord, what is it you want me to learn? I have done that in these seasons of my life. I'm always saying, Lord, just teach me whatever you want to teach me. I want to learn from it. I want to grow from it. What purpose are these things serving in my life? Reveal that to me. Sometimes I would pray, I said, Lord, I want to glorify your name regardless of these seasons in life. Sometimes the Lord reveals to me what they are. Sometimes He doesn't. Sometimes He reveals to me that there's certain pride in my life that He's trying to purge out of my life. Other times He wants to remove my self-sufficiency that I may have come to rely on. Other times He's trying to install in me an absolute and total reliance on Him and Him alone. Other times is to bring me closer and press me closer to His heart. Please hear me right. This is important. I know that when the cold wind of winter blows on your circumstances, you must cling to God even more. You double down. (laughs) You don't compromise. You don't do what the devil wants you to do or what Job's wife tried to get him to do. Curse God and die. To be sure, when the blinding wind (laughs) and the icy grip of winter season gets hold of us, none of us like it. I don't like him at all. (laughs) But what I try to do is remind myself, and I pray to God that you remind yourself, constantly remind yourself, that these seasons are temporary. They're not permanent, they're temporary. That these seasons are inconveniences. (laughs) These seasons will pass away. One of my favorite sayings is when I'm talking to somebody, somebody going through a tough time, and I'm talking for myself, I said, that too shall pass. (laughs) We forget that. Just like a tree in the forest, in the frost of winter, it may be gripped of that on the outside of the tree, but inside the tree there is renewal, there is refurbishing, there is regeneration, there is strength that is ready to come out in the season of fruitfulness. So be patient. Temporary setbacks are meant to be opportunities not to fretting, but to refresh and renew 
your absolute confidence in the Lord. If we, each of us, look closely at our lives, we'll discover those seasons. Seasons of sunshine, and yes, there are seasons of rain. (laughs) There are seasons of blessing, and there are seasons of blasting. There are seasons of fruitfulness, and there are seasons of dryness. Even churches go through seasons. In the book of Acts, there's a season of growth, then there's a season of consolidation. There's a season of growth, and there's a season of consolidation. It happens in individuals and churches. The important thing is, what you do during those seasons of dryness is to cling to Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen? In the Middle East, we have a saying. It goes something like this. Patience is a tree. Its roots are bitter, but its fruit is sweet. Here's a common mistake that some believers make, and beloved, I made them, and it is this. To make permanent decisions based on temporary circumstances. Did you get that? We make permanent decisions based on temporary circumstances. That's a big mistake. And if I manage to contribute anything in your life today, if there's one item, one issue, one thing that I am, by the grace of God and the mercy of God and the Holy Spirit of God, that I am making today for you, is this Please don't make permanent decisions based on temporary circumstances. Can I get an amen? Thank God Naomi did not make that mistake. She took the only cure for her temporary circumstances. She went home. She went home. She took the only cure for her family's consequence of taking short circuits and shortcuts. She went home. Beloved, you know this, but let me repeat it. You are always welcome home to Jesus. You are always welcomed home to Jesus. Whenever you turn to Him, His arms are always, always open. In the first message of chapter 1, we saw very clearly in the winter season of Naomi's life, she trusted in the living God. She experienced bitterness, but she never became bitter. Do you know the difference? And there's a world of difference between the two. I think we all experience bitterness, but the question is, do you become a bitter person? And the reason I know Naomi did not become bitter is because she prayed for her daughters-in-law. You see, when you're a bitter person, you will not pray for others. I got enough problems. I am so wrapped up in myself. I don't have any time to think of praying of somebody else. That's a bitter person. Naomi experienced bitterness, but she never became bitter because she knew that the winter season of her life one day will give way to the sunshine of His redemption. Glory to God. Naomi realized that the frost of pain will one day, one day, give way to the warmth of God's deliverance. Naomi believed that the God who permitted her to experience the consequences of their family, a short-circuiting of God's plan and God's Word, is the God of the second chances and the hundreds and the thousands of chances. Then at chapter 2, we saw how Naomi's daughter-in-law, Ruth, who worked for a minute, actually less than minimum wage. I mean, she was below minimum wage. All of a sudden, 
she gets invited to have lunch at the executive suite with the CEO. Now, beloved, listen to me. Fads have a way of fading away. <laughs> Seen it many times in my life. Trends have a way of trending away. Just be patient. Because the hand of the Lord stands forever. Then here in chapter 3, we begin to see the restoring hand of God. Don't you love that? We all love the restoring hand of God. Even though we may experience pain, suffering, but all we rejoice in the restoring hand of God. And we begin to see here in chapter 3 of the appointment with destiny. Her appointment with destiny. Surely you must know, and those of you who don't know, you need to know, (laughs) that God does everything by an appointment. Did you get that? What does that mean? It means that God will bring to pass all of His promises in your life. God never one second late or one second early. He's always always on time, except it's his time, (laughs) not ours. Question, what is an appointment? What's an appointment of God? Well, you know an appointment is a meeting that already been set up, right? That's an appointment. Okay, you made an appointment to see a doctor or to see a friend. It's already set up. And God always always keeps his appointments. He never says, oh, sorry, I got tired. (laughs) I'm sorry, I got way late and I forgot my appointment. I'm sorry, the traffic was really bad and I'm late. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot all about it. Never, never, not our God. He always, always keeps his appointments. Even when the tempestuous wind is blowing in your face, God has already prepared a way of escape. Please hear me right. The day you said yes to Jesus, you received an appointment with destiny. Let's repeat that. The day you said yes to Jesus, you received an appointment with destiny. Because God always keeps His appointments. Why Naomi was going through this incredible pain and loss and suffering? Her husband and her two sons, while she was going through that, God was working things out for her appointment with destiny. When Naomi was going through the frosty winter, God was preparing the warmth of the sunshine. Listen to me. Your blessing may not come the way you expect it to come. Your blessing may not come through the individual or individuals or people that you thought would come through, but when God is in charge in your life, rest assured He keeps His appointments. God synchronizes His answers to accomplish His purpose. And that's very hard to accept. I know that. But just remember this. Whatever you are, whatever circumstances you're going through right now, remember that God is synchronizing in order to accomplish His purpose. I want to illustrate this. Many times, after a long flight home, and you can't wait to get home, you can't wait to see your family, and all of a sudden, 
their controller tells the pilot to wait in the air. I don't know about you, but I find waiting in the air to be very disconcerting. (laughs) What a strange place to wait. (laughs) In the air, for goodness sake. But the important thing for me is to realize that the air controller has to synchronize he has to synchronize the landing schedules. Otherwise, he's going to have disasters on his hand. And so the captain announces, we are going to assume a holding pattern. Hello. <laughs> we are going to assume a holding pattern for further instructions. <laughs> Listen to me. I know more about holding patterns than you will ever know. <laughs> Some of us are in our holding pattern right now. And you're wondering, When I got to land. But God is synchronizing the working and working things together for your appointment with destiny, for your appointment, because He wants to take you home safely. He wants to take you all the way home safely. For what purpose? For what purpose? Look at Ruth chapter 3, and you're going to see with me the synchronizing of God's plan. Why? So that he may change Naomi's and Ruth's disappointments into hope, (laughs) so that he may replace shattered dreams with a kinsman redeemer, so that he may replace the years that have been eaten by the locusts with the years of blessings, so that he may give them one of the greatest blessings imaginable. And what a blessing this is. Let me tell you that the best matchmaker in the world could never have matched those two together. God is the best and the greatest matchmaker in the universe. When you place your whole trust in Him, And when you walk and live with the evidence of placing your whole trust in Him, not a little bit with Him and a little bit somewhere else, but when you place, when you prove it in your life, in your walk and your trust in Him, He will match you with blessings. He will match you with people. He will match you with opportunities. He will match you with healings. He will match you with joy and peace unspeakable. I wonder how many of you oldies, oldies, you'll understand what I mean when I ask the question. How many of you will confess to watching the film Fiddler on the Roof? I'm sure the kids are saying, what? Fiddler what? I know. When Streisand sings, she's not one of my favorite people, but, but that's personal quirkiness. And You remember her song? Matchmaker, matchmaker, match me, make me a match. Find me a find, catch me a catch, make me a perfect match. Remember that? By the way, to this very day, (laughs) there are professional matchmakers in certain ethnic groups that shall remain nameless. I mean, really professional. That's all they do. They match people. (laughs) Even with all these modern dating sites, (laughs) have not eliminated that profession. And when Naomi discovered that the man, this man Boaz, the man who showed kindness to Ruth, is a kinsman, she popped the champagne. 
Well, they didn't have champagne back then. But in reality, <laughs> being rich and influential, it did not hurt. It did not hurt. Naomi immediately knew that this was going to be a match made in heaven. <laughs> and literally it was. Literally it was. Here is my personal view. Beyond marrying for money, Naomi knew that Bowers's character was implicitly to be trusted. She knew right away. Look at verses 2, 4, and 18. You'll see that very clearly. Naomi, who had been through so much pain, knew immediately that Ruth and Bowers are a real match. Her experience of pain and failure and compromise and short-circuiting of God's Word and God's plan helped her to recognize that these two lovebirds <laughs> shared a common moral excellence, loyalty, and character. Naomi proved the saying that a man is not a success until his mother-in-law admits it. I know mothers-in-law get a bad rap, but uh, I loved my mother-in-law. <laughs> As for men, listen to me, guys. <laughs> you know that when a man decides to marry, it may be the very last decision he's been allowed to make. <laughs> Years ago, I read about two politicians in Arkansas who were having public debate. And one said to the other, yelled, and he said, What about all this powerful interest that's controlling you? And the other one yelled back and said, you leave my wife out of this. <laughs> Here's something you need to know about the culture and the history of the day. I'm making an issue of this, and I'm going to explain to you why. Very important. For Naomi to try to broker the marriage between Boaz and Ruth, uh, for her to broker this marriage between her widowed daughter-in-law, Ruth, was perfectly normal. That was the done thing at that time. Back then, in those days, parents matched their children when they were young. And that is why if a girl would grow up, and if she's 12 years old, and somebody tried and said, no, 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 she's spoken for She's spoken for. Why? Because parents got together when the kids were young, and they talked about the kids' strength and weaknesses, and they matched them together. That's how it, it was. It's different from our day. You see, in that culture, they were not having dates at the disco or go clubbing or have a passionate moment in the movies. Uh, they did not uh, have a, a macho ride in his convertible. Uh, they had no opportunities to hold hands at the moonlight. There were no flexing of the biceps and impressing her by how much he can bench press. On the part of the woman, it was not impressing him with that she wears size zero. I just found out that there's a size zero. I, 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 I heard I couldn't believe it. I said, really? What is a zero? <laughs> or the makeup or the this or that or the other thing. But enough of that. 
Mother Naomi knew these two had something far more in common than all the artificial and shallow things by which we measure today. Above all, she knew that God is at work. God is at work. Say it with me. God is at work. Bowers and Ruth, excellent character, integrity, honesty, and loyalty. That is all she could see. But there's something else I need to point out to you, and I told you this, verses 3 and 4, and I'm telling you this because some of the liberal commentators don't read them. I'll read them for you, because at least I can poo-poo them, because they're foolish. They don't believe the Bible, but they still write commentaries on books of the Bible. I don't know why, but here's what they did. These liberal theologians missed the whole point altogether, because they tried to interpret a 3,000-year-old incident in the light of the 21st century immorality, in the light of the 21st century so-called sexual revolution, in the light of 21st century moral sleaze, in the light of this promiscuous culture. That's why they interpret the entire Bible that way. And they interpreted Ruth approaching Bowers as she's asking for sexual favors. I told you that, that they absolutely do not understand the context of the culture of the day, because that could not be further from the truth. The morality and the character of these two is absolutely unquestionable. Not only that, but you see from the text that this man, Boaz, is an older gentleman. Ruth is much younger woman. Bowers did not want to put Ruth on the spot by proposing marriage to her, because he did not want to risk being rejected. I'm going to explain that to you in a minute. You see, the man's stature in society, the man's stature in the culture and in the town could never be turned down. So he did not want to put Ruth on the spot. And look at verse 10, chapter 3, verse 10. That is why he said to her, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness. What kindness? What kindness is he talking about? What kindness? Her kindness in saying to him, in effect, that's what she did. She was saying to him, it's okay to propose to me. <laughs> it's okay to propose to me. That's really the cultural way of the day. It's okay to propose to me. This is what's all about. This is what's all about. May the Lord bless you, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. Now, please hear me right. Hear me right on this one. It's very important that you understand. A man of Bowers' stature could not have been turned down by Ruth had he proposed to her. Had he proposed marriage to her and she turned him down, it would be a scandal, not just in Bethlehem, but in all of Israel. And that is why he was so thankful when Ruth made it clear that it is okay to propose to her, that she will accept his proposal. See, okay, propose to me. It's all right. See, some of these non-believing liberal commentators are either ignorant of the historical culture or out-and-out untruthful. They're seeing 3,000-year-old incident in the eyes of modern promiscuous Hollywood. In fact, all of Ruth had done 
was follow her mother-in-law's advice. Remember, she was a Moabite. She's not an Israeli. She's not Jewish. She's a Moabite. And so she was doing what her mother-in-law told her to the custom of the day. She was following Naomi's wisdom. She was following Naomi's understanding of what the Jewish tradition is all about. She trusted Naomi's advice implicitly. Actually, this whole incident remind me of a story about this American lady who was on a Mediterranean cruise. Throughout the cruise, at least the first three days, she kept looking at one man. Everywhere they go, she's looking at him. At the dining room, she's looking at him. On deck, she's looking at him. Although the man was kind of a shy guy, but he decided finally said, I have had enough of this. So he picked up the courage and went to her and said, Madam, do I know you from somewhere? Have I met you before and I'm not remembering? She said, no. You just remind me of my third husband. (laughs) Well, just how many husbands have you had? She said, two. (laughs) This is a very subtle way of communicating. (laughs) Men are not very good with subtleties. (laughs) Women run rings around us on this. (laughs) And that's all Ruth is doing. (laughs) She was subtle. She said, hey, you remind me of my next husband <laughs> In fact, Maxie Dunham tells a story about two elderly couple in a retirement home, and both of the man and the woman never married before. They've always been single all their life. But they began to spend time together. And, and they really, as they spend time together, all of a sudden, probably in their first time in all of their life, uh, they really began to develop some warm relationship, and, and the, the gentleman recognized his attachment for the first time. You know, his heart was beating up a little harder, and, but he was extremely shy. He, he just cannot open up and tell her how he feels about her. Uh, like most men, as I said, they're not very good with subtleties. <laughs> but after a few anxious moments and anxious days, he picked up some courage he picked up enough courage to go and knock on her door. When she opened the door, he blurted out, he said, let's get married. She threw her hands up in the air. She said, what a great idea, but who would have us? (laughs) Back to the text. Who is this kinsman redeemer? There are two chapters I'm going to tell you about today in the Bible please read them when you go home. Deuteronomy 25 and Leviticus 25. You see, in Deuteronomy 25, God is the one who communicated to Moses these instructions. And that is, when a man dies, his brother takes his wife as his own. This was done for several reasons. God wants to preserve His own people, the Israelites. He wants to preserve them as a nation. Secondly, he wanted to save a widow from public humiliation. And thirdly, he wanted to uh, basically raise up the offspring of his brother. But that's not all. In Leviticus 25, it tells us that the nearest of kin is to redeem not only the property, because as you remember, God divided the promised land depending on clans and depending on tribes. And so he is not only to redeem the land, but redeem the person. Therefore, the kinsman redeemer acts to set free the member of the family. Why? Because most often, back then, if there is no family support, and a husband dies, and a woman is suffering from 
financial hardship, she ends up going into slavery. In other words, the kinsman redeemer acts as a trustee. The law of God made these provisions as to remind them of their collective responsibilities to each other. Because among the people of God, the responsibility toward each other stems from, flow out of, the covenant relationship that they have with Yahweh. This law intended to be a reminder for all of them that they do not own anything. God does. They are mere managers of God's properties. They are entrusted by God for His resources. Everything they had belonged to God, and they must use it for His glory. Beloved, when God redeemed Israel out of the slavery of Egypt, it is His way of saying, you belong to me. You belong to me. You belong to Yahweh. And now, He tells them, you are responsible to redeem each other. One of the greatest characteristics of our kinsman redeemer God is that He redeems us from the penalty of sin. He redeems us from Satan's oppression. He redeems us from the mastery of sin. He redeems us from the slavery of sin. He paid a precious price to redeem us, to take us from Satan's ownership to His ownership. He did not just pay a small amount of money. He paid His blood. Bowers and Ruth later had a child. Obed became the grandfather of King David, who is the prefiguring of our kinsman redeemer, the son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, so far, so good. Verses 12 and 13, we find an unexpected problem arises. Put a spanner in the works. Bowers, a man of honor and integrity, was flattered that Ruth said, it's okay to propose to me. But nonetheless, somebody else had more rights. Someone else in the family is more of a kin to Naomi's family than he is. And so Bowers resolves the problem with honesty, legally, and with grace. Beloved, grace is what characterizes Bowers, and it is grace is what characterizes our kinsman Redeemer. Grace is what motivates Him to redeem us. Grace makes provision for those who have been redeemed. Grace is so rich in resources and blessings. While Bowers was a fine kinsman Redeemer, was as fine as you find on the earth, but he has nothing on our kinsman redeemer. He has nothing, for our kinsman redeemer brings us forgiveness. Our kinsman redeemer calls us his children. Our kinsman redeemer enters with us into our seasons of pain. Our kinsman redeemer provides for us our safety. Our kinsman redeemer walks with us in our fiery furnace. Our kinsman redeemer never leaves us nor forsakes us. Our kinsman redeemer keeps us secure in the hollow of His hands. Our kinsman redeemer acts like a fortress and a tower of strength. Our kinsman redeemer never slumber nor sleep. Our kinsman redeemer rides the cloud for our help. Our kinsman redeemer has His everlasting arms underneath, and you could never go for a free fall. He is our shield. 
He is our shield, our defense, our protector, our provider. He's our stronghold. Ultimately, our kinsman redeemer will welcome us at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Our kinsman redeemer is the bridegroom for his bride, the church. And he has pledged and promised that he will present us to his Father on that great day without blemish or spot. Glory to God. Glory to God. He doesn't start something, never finishes it. He who began a good work in you is able to bring it to where? To completion. If you're going through a season of doubt, if you're going through a season of puzzlement, if you're going through a season of pain, you can today say, Lord Jesus, you're the kinsman redeemer of the best of the best. Forgive me for doubting you. Forgive me for not trusting you. Forgive me of wondering where you are. You are right there. Father God, we are so privileged to have a kinsman redeemer like Jesus, our kinsman redeemer who loved us to the end, who loved us all the way to the cross, who loved us by giving up his own life so that he may redeem us and that he may purify us and sanctify us and gives us his righteousness and then presents us holy to his Father. Father reminds us, remind us constantly. We know the world, the flesh, and the devil are constant conspiring to make us forget, to make us ignore this absolute truth. But you, Holy Spirit, bring these to mind. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.